And I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it to the first epistle of John, the Apostle. And we're going to spend our time this morning examining a couple of verses towards the end of this particular letter. In 1 John chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. So as we prepare to do that and we turn our attention to these couple of verses, I just want to share with you, you know, I think for me personally, um, building intentional, loving relation, relationships can be a difficult task. It can be difficult for me. Uh, it's sometimes it's difficult in general. I think lots of times um, when I tell people that I'm an introvert, they laugh at me. Right? Because, you know, I, I don't really struggle to get up and do this. I can talk in front of people. I can engage and I can interact with people. But, but there's a lot of things about me that actually would demonstrate that I'm more introverted than extroverted. Um, I, I erect walls. I, I don't like to let a lot of people get close to me. And we've talked before about a reality of serving Jesus and serving the body and serving others is that it can be difficult because people can be difficult, and sometimes in people being difficult and relationships being difficult, you get hurt. And sometimes it's hard to, to press in and press on when you know that there's the ability or the, the possibility or even the tendency to, in multiple ways, be hurt. And so it's natural for a lot of us to erect walls. But the problem is, when you erect walls, it can hinder effective communication. It makes uh, communicating difficult it, it, it just in all of its facets, right? And so when you combine that with the fact that relationships in and of themselves can be difficult to cultivate, right? Because, again, you're talking about different people coming together, and you're trying to, to create a relationship. You're trying to cultivate a relationship. And then once you create and you try to cultivate that relationship, you then have to maintain that relationship, right? And so when you combine, sometimes that maybe it's not natural for some of us, maybe it's not as easy for us as others, with the reality that the relationships can just be difficult anyways, there, there becomes this, this dilemma, Right? Sometimes there's a fear trying to connect with people who are different than we are. I know that's for me, right? Like, you want to talk about sports? I can talk about sports till I'm blue in the face. Many of you know that, right? Um, but sometimes in my life, I willingly acknowledge and recognize it is tougher for me to connect with people that I don't share a lot of commonalities with. Now, I'm not making excuses. Don't hear me say that that's okay, I'm just demonstrating as we're looking at this reality of relationships that they can be difficult, even for people who talk to people, right? And so when you try to cultivate relationships and you try to connect with people beyond a surface level, it can be tough because people are different. People have different likes and dislikes and different desires and different goals and different preferences. And all of this together can make building intentional and loving relationships difficult. Because the bottom line is this, loving relationships that are intentional are difficult. Now, I would submit to you this morning that I'm not the only one that struggles with building, cultivating, and maintaining loving, intentional relationships. I don't think I'm alone in this. We might be different reasons why for different folks, but I don't believe that I'm alone. And, and I think 
For me, I would submit to you that my belief that I'm not alone in this stems from the fact that I find myself burdened by the lack of meaningful relationship that exists in the world we live in. You know, I, as I interact on some level with, with, with teenagers, for example, and I, as I interact with people that are a part of my generation and maybe even kind of following behind me, behind me there's something that I'm kind of picking up and on and I'm learning and I'm figuring out. The, the generation, starting with mine and then afterward, is controlled by a fake world. Starting with my generation and then behind us, we live or have lived, unless we have come out of and understood this, in a world that is fake. Is it interesting to anybody or is it just me? That, and again, this is what I'm talking about. I'm burdened by the lack of relationships, okay? Why is it that every social media platform that is controlling every one of you teenagers, let's not sugarcoat it, it's also controlling a lot of you adults, why is it that every social media platform is chock full of filters so that I can make my life look like something different than what it really is? The beauty of, a, of, of technology and social media is I can put on social media all the things and only the things that I want all of you to know. You're going to see all of the highlights of Justin Halder's life. You're not, because I don't do social media. That's not like a pious position. I told you years ago, people drive me insane. I had to get off social media, okay? But the interesting thing about social media is, is it creates a fake world. And that fake world creates pressure on people, adults and teens, kids alike, okay? And not only does it create this pressure, not only does it create this, this false world, but it also makes it impossible for people to cultivate intentional, meaningful relationships. Because everything that people know about our lives is a lie. Everything is ran through a filter, Everything is modified. And I want you to understand something. There is nothing intentional, loving, or meaningful about those relationships. And so when I look at these things, and, I, and again, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. Like Part of what I do is I'm interacting with these statistics, and I'm interacting with these articles and all of these different uh, organizations and ministry platforms that are compiling some of this information. And we've talked before about the reality of the pressure that our kids face to do things that they shouldn't do, to pretend to be things that they're not. And all of this makes it impossible to have intentional, meaningful, loving relationships. And I'm burdened by the, by the lack of meaningful relationships in the world today. But I'm more burdened by the lack of meaningful relationships in the church today. John says elsewhere, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. We can't love one another if we exist in fake worlds. We cannot love one another if the extent of our relationship is showing up corporately on Sunday morning with our mask on that we put on on the way here, leading everybody to believe that our lives are great when the reality is a lot of us come to church fake. 
I'm not putting anybody on blast. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I'm actually trying to demonstrate the exact opposite, that what you were created for was intentional, meaningful relationship. And when you put barriers in your life, this is, I can't let somebody know my weakness. I can't let somebody know my struggle. I can't be real and I can't be vulnerable. You are hindering God's ability to work in your life. And it's plaguing the church. Perhaps you sense some of this, you see some of this, perhaps you share my concern. And it would be my prayer that together we would see the need for real relationship. The kind where people don't walk through life's problems, trials, or difficulties alone or in isolation. Because you weren't created for that. You weren't created to be alone. You were not, literally, in fact, in God's word, it's the exact opposite. Literally, the words of scripture say, after God created Adam, it is not good that man should be alone. And yet, how many of us in our church and in churches just like ours suffer under the weight of the difficulty of life alone? We pray, we ought to pray for the kind of relationships where people learn that there is something better than what this world has to offer. There's something better than the filter on Snapchat or Instagram. There's something better than the the false, fake reality that I operate underneath on a daily basis. I would submit to you, I've said perhaps you're burdened, and now I would submit to you that those who are in Christ must be burdened by the lack of meaningful relationship that exists in the world today, both in and out of the church. Because true and meaningful relationship does not require one to pretend that everything is okay. It doesn't require one to wear the everything is great in my life mask. True relationship allows people to be vulnerable and transparent. It provides love, grace, and mercy. And true, intentional, meaningful relationships also provide accountability to the truth. Now see, that's where our two worlds just collided. A relationship isn't meaningful apart from accountability to the truth. And so if we're living most of our lives in a fake world and we're not being held accountable to truth, we're going to struggle always to have meaningful relationships. We're going to spend a lot of time alone and in isolation. And so these true relationships, intentional, meaningful, loving relationships, are built on love and grace and mercy, but they provide truth. I've said it. Already, over and over, and I will say again, these relationships are lacking today, and it grieves my heart. It grieves my heart because it's the hindrance, right, to people being who they're to be in Christ. You cannot live the Christian life alone, okay? I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how strong you think you are. I don't, think how, I don't care how spiritual you believe yourself to be. 
Left to yourself, you will be devoured. Write it down, book it, period. And when you stay in isolation and you get devoured, remember, it's because you're not meant to be alone. And these lacking relationships, as I've said, they grieve my heart. Because the church suffers. We're not talking about the world now. Now let's bring it inward. We're talking about the church suffers. And when the church suffers, it affects the church's ability to reach into the world and cultivate meaningful relationships. If we can't cultivate meaningful relationships within the walls, how do we cultivate them outside the walls? It should be, there's a little bit of an element where it should be a little easier to build these relationships with the folks here, right? But oftentimes it's not. And so if we're not building them in here, we're not building them out there. And if this grieves you like it does me, maybe just kind of walking through some of this, you're thinking, hmm, I hadn't really thought about that. I hadn't thought about it that way. And, and maybe now you share my grief. The question becomes, what do we do? How do we curb the lack of relationship issue? Well, first, you acknowledge that it's an issue. Now, you're not going to do anything to change something that you don't think needs to be changed, Right? So we acknowledge that the lack of meaningful relationship is an issue. And I would submit to you this morning that it matters that we do this because we're going to look at God's word in just a second and we're going to see that intentional loving relationships mattered to Jesus. And if we're going to walk like Jesus walked, walked, then we have to walk like Jesus walked. And Jesus walked in intentional, loving relationship with people. He went out of his way to form these relationships and to call people to faith and to repentance through these relationships. And he exposed them to truth and he kept them accountable to truth. So we understand it's an issue. And then we understand that Jesus was concerned with these types of relationships and then we seek to learn, what did he do? And then we emulate it. Simple, right? The concept of relationships that are meaningful, I would submit to you this morning, is taught all through Scripture. We see it exemplified by Jesus and by him in his life and, and through his word as well. Furthermore, the Father has exemplified this reality of intentional loving relationship for us when he made his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Stop and think about that for a second. Because lots of times, and we've touched on this in recent weeks, lots of times we focus on, well, you know, Jesus died on the cross for my sin so that I don't have to go to, I don't have to, go to hell. I, Jesus died on the cross for my sin so I get to go to heaven. Okay, those are two things that are true biblically, okay? But what, the, what the, the death of Jesus did was demonstrate for you and I, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So when God gave his son to be a sacrifice, to be a payment or a propitiation for the sins of the world, he's demonstrating that the intentional, meaningful relationship between me, God, and you, man, matters. So much so that I will send my son to die. So if you're tempted to look into God's word and say, I don't see intentional relationships, look again. 
If you're tempted to say, I don't think real meaning, relate, meaningful relationship was a high priority for Jesus, was a high priority for the Father, was a high priority for those that we see in Scripture, look again. Because intentional loving relationships are of highest priority in God's Word. Let's consider our text this morning. It's two verses, 1 John chapter 4. In this... The love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Two short verses, two short verses, and in these two short verses we see four principles of loving relationships taught and modeled by Jesus and by the Father that demonstrate that loving relationships are the standard that's expected of Christ and for the church. In each of these four principles, as we begin, are rooted, as we see in the first, the first part of verse 9, they're in this, the love of God, okay? Each of these four principles are rooted in the love of God for people. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Manifest means it's obvious, it's evident, we can see it, right? It's, 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 it's empirical, it's observable by the senses. It was made manifest among us. And so what John is saying is, this is how you can know the love of God. This is how you can know that God has love for mankind, and ultimately it's by making a way for these relationships to be established. This is how God made his, known, his love known to us. First is, the reality of, first is the reality of presence. So we talk about intentional, meaningful, loving relationships. They must have presence. John says, God sent his only son into the world. So for us, presence is the first key to an intentional relationship. This was true in the case of God towards us, and it is true of us towards others. God has always promised his presence. The Old Testament is replete with examples of God's presence. So it's not just a promise, but we see God's presence. The burning bush reappeared to Moses. The pillars of cloud and the fire whereby he led the Israelites through the wilderness. The tabernacle where his very presence resided. There's examples of God's presence in the lives of his people. But the reality is that in Christ, God's presence came once and for all. God sent it, and this is the love of God, that he sent his son into the world. You see, God and his love for mankind is not an abstract idea or ideal. We are really good today at, at, at taking God's love and somehow reducing it to this whimsical idea of this big guy upstairs somewhere off in a far distance. He has a love for me and it's great, but it doesn't really matter in my life. That's unbiblical. Because God's love is not abstract, it's not far off. It's a reality. The love of God is a promise of God. And this love of God that's a promise of God is proven by the presence of God. You talk about fulfilling the promise of his love for us. He gave his son. The presence of God is made manifest among us. 
Very simple truth at play here. Without presence, there is no loving and meaningful relationship. Without presence, there is no loving and meaningful relationship. Whether you are the one seeking the relationship or the one trying to provide the relationship, without presence, there is not a relationship. But presence alone by itself does not make a meaningful relationship. You got to have the presence, as we see from God's word, but you also got to have purpose. You also got to have purpose. And in our context in 1 John 4, the purpose was so that we might live through him. God sent his son. He showed us his love. He sent his son. The presence is there. The presence is there for the purpose of, of living through the son. There was a purpose in sending Jesus. And it wasn't just so that we would know the love of God. It was so that when we know the love of God in Christ, we would live through him. You see, this is, this is, this is absolutely different than Jesus died on the cross for my sin and now I go to heaven or now I don't go to hell. Jesus was sent by the Father to establish the presence of the Father for a purpose, what? That we might live through him. You see, too many people claim to come to faith in Jesus Christ just thinking that one day now they get to go to heaven or that they don't have to go to hell, but they don't understand that God's word says that the reason Jesus came was so that by faith in him, we could live through him. Not just later, but now. That's literally to say to have relationship with God. That we have eternal life and that we have life now. And the reality we see is in this context of God sending his son and us living through him is that the purpose of this intentional relationship is eternal life. So whether we're considering that Christ has come for the purpose, okay, so that we might live in him, we might have eternal life, the same purpose of our intentional, meaningful relationships is that those who we would seek to build relationship with might have eternal life. See, the body of Christ doesn't commit to the process of making intentional, meaningful relationships just so that we can have more friends. The body of Christ commits to intentional, meaningful, loving relationships because life and death is at stake. You may not think that meaningful relationships really matter all that much. But don't they? Because if people who don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ, people that have not understood that God sent his son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins, that is, to be the payment that would satisfy the perfect, holy, just, righteous demand of God, if they don't understand this, then the Bible would tell us that they are lost, they are separated from God, and they are damned to hell for eternity. Now, if this doesn't matter to you, Something is wrong. If you are not moved by the fact that lost people are dying and going to hell, something's wrong with your theology. 
to not be burdened by the fact that people are lost and dying and going to hell because you're not demonstrates that something is wrong. And I would submit it demonstrates even though you think you might be okay, you may not be. Because the word of God is clear. God sent his son that his love would be manifest to us that we would live through him. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, I think part of the reason meaningful relationship lacks in, in the church and between the church and those that we intera- interact with is because we really aren't concerned about them. We know we're good, so we're good. If it works out, if I get a chance to talk to somebody or maybe if they say Jesus in some capacity, I'll try to have a conversation. Look, that's not the same as being burdened for lost people. And I don't care what your position in Christ is. I don't care what your stature in life is. If you profess to be a believer in Jesus, you are to be burdened for the lost. Not just me. Not Aaron. The body of Christ must be burdened for the lost. And this is the purpose of intentional, meaningful relationships. That those we build relationships with would come to Christ if they don't know him or that they would mature in Christ if they do. There has to be a purpose. There has to be a goal. Without a goal, what we do when trying to create relationships becomes too heavy of a burden to bear. We try to take all these things on and the purpose of the relationship is not realized so it comes to, we think of Christ, he saved us. So in this relationship, he saved us, and now we live for his glory. When we think about what we have set out to do and what we want to do as believers in Jesus, without a goal, the relationships that we keep are going to be like pacifiers for babies. Babies work pacifiers, and they work them, and they work them, and they work them, and they work them, and they work them. And when they're done working them, they scream. Why? Because the pacifier doesn't provide any nutrients. What they need to be sustained as a baby and as a child is milk. They need to be fed. They're hungry. And so if we have relationships that we're trying to pour into, and our goal isn't either faith in Christ or maturity in Christ, you're going to wear out. Because cultivating them is like having a pacifier. You can work it for a really long time, but eventually you're going to get sick of working it because you're still going to be hungry, and you're going to realize that what you want to accomplish isn't being accomplished. So the reality is a relationship without a goal, without a purpose, it does not yield fruit that lasts. It doesn't yield a benefit. Yes, somebody might say, hey, they were a good friend to me. But from the perspective of God's word, Are you a good friend to somebody that you're not steering a relationship towards a conversation about faith in Christ? What kind of good friend is a believer to an unbeliever if they don't ever share the truth? I would submit to you that's a pretty bad friend. Because if eternity is what's at stake, life or death, then we ought to be trying to say, hey, look, man, we're trying to build this relationship. You know you don't lead with this. Hey, man, I want to build a relationship with you so I can tell you about Jesus. You don't do that. But you show up and establish a presence in the lives of people. Why? Because you have a purpose. That is, that they would know Jesus and that they would live through him. Because this is what God has demonstrated for us. 
our relationships got to have presence, got to have purpose, but they also got to have persistence. Notice as we jump down here to verse 10 as John continues, he says, um, in this is love, not that we have loved God. I've already alluded to Romans 5, 8, but when was it that God demonstrated his love for mankind? While we were still sinners. While we were separated from God, sinners, he demonstrated his love for us in Christ. God orchestrated the means for loving relationship with him when we did not love him. You thought about that reality? You were not born with a disposition to love God. The word of God would teach the exact opposite. You were born with a disposition to hate God. And when you were in that disposition is when Jesus died to demonstrate or to manifest God's love. You and I, apart from Christ, have no capacity to love God or anyone else. And it is then, it is now, it is prior to that, prior to love, knowing love and understanding love, that God has manifest his love in Christ. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. He simply gave it. And in giving his love, he gave the example of what it is to have loving relationships with others. Because if we go all the way back to where we started here, if we seek to cultivate loving relationships, it is not going to be easy. Some may not want them when we offer them. Some may be slow to latch on to the point of intentional relationships. This is why intentional relationships require persistence. You know, I, I, I've been, been having these conversations on and off with this coworker, you know, and he came to me, he was having some struggles, and, and I, I tried to work God's word into the conversation, he wasn't having it. Okay. So the next time we got this coworker and he comes around, he's got this, you know, and so we talk for a minute, and then I try to work God's word into it. He wasn't having it. I don't have to tell you an example, a specific example of a story of the number of times that this has went on and went on and went on and went on and went on. And then the person who wanted nothing to do with God's word comes back and says, look, I've fought this long enough. I've tried in my own strength. I've tried in my own abilities. I don't have any, any idea what else to do here. What is this deal you keep talking about with God? Because the God you keep talking about is different than my understanding of God. Look, everybody has a concept of God. There's nobody who doesn't. Concept might be that he's not real. Concept might be that he is real, but he's different than his word says. Concept might just be who knows what, okay? But the goal of these relationships is we have opportunity to share with people is to point them. Again, we talk about accountability to truth. We want to point them to truth, that they would know who God is and that they might live in him. And sometimes we've got to be persistent. I remember, you guys know, you guys know my story, right? And I was, I was discipled by a retired dairy farmer. And, uh, man, sometimes I think back on the number of times, gosh, that I was an idiot. I just didn't want to go. So I called, and I would have some stupid, lame excuse so why I couldn't come that day. And, you know, Mr. C, he, he never badgered me. He held me accountable. There is a difference. He would hold me accountable, and we would have conversations, and, you know, we go through these things, and, and Mr. C just turned 91 in the end of July. 
And uh, when we were in Michigan in the early part of July, we got to go visiting. We always make it a point to visit when we head up to Michigan. And um, him and I were talking, and we were just talking about church. Of course, many of you know, if you've been here for the last few years, he had a stroke a few years ago. And so now literally, uh, bless his heart, the poor guy, he exists in his chair. And at nighttime, when it's time for bed, he gets up out of his chair. Well, they, they get him up out of his chair, and they put him in his bed, and he lays in his bed until the morning, and then they get him up out of his bed, and they put him back in his chair. And he can, he's got use of his arms and things, but he obviously has no strength and doesn't have a lot of functions and things. But when we were there in Michigan last time, we were talking about church. And uh, we were just talking about a, a lot of the changing landscape as it pertains to church. And uh, so we're having this conversation, my, Jenna's whole family, we're all there visiting at this particular visit, we were talking, and, and we're just, you know, we a fine conversation, and so we're talking for a minute, and it's funny because when we all get to be together, and Mr. Siwa ask a question, even though Jenna's parents, they've all known him for much longer than I have, he was their mentor before he was mine, everybody always looks to me, and I don't know why that is, um, but I appealed to them, and they talked, and they shared some things, and, and I looked at him, and I said, Mr. C., I said, you and I both know that I am not where I'm at today because I attended corporate church services. I said, Norman, I am where I am at today because week after week, hour after hour, day after day, opportunity after opportunity, you sat with me in your basement and poured over the word of God. He was persistent because, man, I was a bonehead. And that's not, I'm not trying to be, you know, like a a false humility there. Like, I was young and dumb. I didn't know very much at all about God and his word, and I got this guy trying to pour into me. I'll even tell you, I had bad motives. That's probably why lots of times I wasn't committed. Sometimes there was a, a period there where I viewed what Mr. C could do for me as a means to an end. Y'all know I was trying to win the girl showed up and he had a purpose and he persisted over and over and over and sometimes I think about this 91 year old man because of the way this world works and because of the presence of sin one day he will close his eyes and he will breathe his last earthly breath And then he will be ushered into eternity where he will stand in the presence of his Savior, Jesus Christ. And shortly after that, I imagine there's going to be a very, very, very long line of people who are going to walk up and say, Norman Carey, you never met me. You didn't know me. But you remember when you were 78 and you went on that missions trip to Costa Rica? You remember that young man, Johnny, who you invested in and you poured into and you taught him and now he's in ministry in Connecticut? You know that young and dumb, lanky, loudmouth Justin? God worked through him as you poured into him to change somebody's life. If you are ever tempted to wonder why I believe meaningful, intentional relationships matter, don't bother, because I just told you. If it be not for Norman Carey, I'm not standing here. I'm not navigating God's word and by God's grace sharing it with people. 
Who I am today is not a product of corporate church. It's not a product of shallow relationships. It's not a product of surface level interaction. It's the product of a man who had nothing to gain. Nothing. He had no vested interest in me whatsoever. And yet week after week after week, he persisted. When it was hard, when I was stubborn, he had nothing to gain. He persisted. God, sin enters into the world. God persisted in sending his presence for a purpose. Not because we loved him, but because he loved us. And lastly, the principle present in loving relationships, I cheated, I used the word, is propitiation. He says there in the end of verse 10, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Like I said, I know it's kind of cheating when you use the word. You can't use the word to define the word, but it really is the best word to communicate the purpose behind God's love for us in what in turn should be our love for others. Again, propitiation is the means by which sins are forgiven. And it's important to understand that the only way that sins are forgiven is for the wrath of God to be satisfied. So his demands had to be met and they were met in Christ. He was the propitiation. Now, as we've touched on and alluded to already, real and meaningful relationships with unsaved people have to be about bringing them to the place of seeing the fact that they have a sin issue that needs to be dealt with. They need to understand that they are living presently under the wrath of God. And unless their sin is propitiated for, atoned for, then they will stay condemned before God. We need to be there. There has to be purpose. And we must persist. Because unsaved people need to recognize that their sins must be propitiated for. All of our relationships, over and over, is so that folks would see their need for Christ, turn from their sin, and trust Him for salvation, and then grow in maturity through Him. And so through those intentional loving relationships, what we do now is we live for the glory of Christ. These relationships are God's means of of saving lost souls and strengthening those who have trusted Christ. And I want to finish this morning with one of the best examples of a loving relationship is exemplified by Jesus. And many of you are familiar with this account You don't have to turn there. You might write it down if you want to go read the whole account later. I'm going to reference it. And we're going to see Jesus exemplify for us these four realities of an intentional relationship. We're introduced to a woman in John's gospel as Jesus is traveling with his disciples. In John chapter 4, chapter opens this way. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. This is the account where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. 
and perhaps you're familiar with it. If not, we're going to highlight it this morning and use it as an example of Jesus demonstrating what a meaningful relationship looks like. First of all, we see the presence. John 4, 4. He had to pass through Samaria. Bible doesn't tell us why. But it's significant that Jesus had to pass through Samaria because uh, Jews didn't have any dealings with Samaritans. Samaritans were not full-blooded Jews, and therefore they were viewed as lesser, okay? So we're introduced to this reality that while Jesus and his disciples could have went around Samaria to get back to Galilee, they did not. The Bible says they had to go through Samaria. His presence continues. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It's about the sixth hour. So now Jesus has availed himself to where he knows these people are going to be. It's the middle of the day, and people need water. So Jesus establishes his presence at the well. And then he begins this conversation with this woman. She comes to the, the, the well to draw water. His disciples had gone away, John tells us. And Jesus asked this woman for a drink. Now, not only is she a Samaritan woman, but she's a woman. And no Jew man would talk to a woman. Or a Samaritan woman. This lady has nothing going for her in terms of what we would expect the Jewish culture, or how we would expect it to function. And Jesus says to her, hey, give me a drink. And the woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John even tells us, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And so they have this dialogue about water. And Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But in verse 14, he announces the purpose of his presence. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now you better believe every cultural barrier is being shattered by Jesus and this Samaritan woman. And so now he starts talking about eternal life. His purpose has been announced but now Jesus is going to have to be a little persistent. He's proclaimed to her. We're looking at this a lot out order, but that's okay. He's proclaimed to her his purpose for being there. But he's got to be persistent because as we've already seen in verse 9, she challenges him, why are you talking to me? I'm a woman and I'm a Jew. Why, why are you talking to me? And then in verse 11, again, he's talking about getting this water. She says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. This well is deep. Where do you get this living water? So Jesus has to persist. She didn't right out of the gate say, yes, please give me the living water. She's curious. What he's selling isn't making a lot of sense to her because cultural barriers are being broken. He has nothing to get the water with. Where's the water going to come from? She thinks the water's coming out of the well. And so Jesus explains to her as we've seen his purpose. She would have eternal life. And then as they continue to dialogue, Jesus tells her his purpose, that he might give eternal life. And she says, give me this water, sir, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She still doesn't get it. She's trying to get a drink. Give me this water because I don't want to have to come back to this well. You just told me you're going to give water to people. They don't have to come to the well anymore. So I don't want to come to the well, so give me this water, Jesus. And Jesus' response to her was this. Go, call your husband and come here. That's odd. He just told her that he came to give eternal life. 
He wants these people to know and to understand that God has sent him, that he's come and he's offering eternal life and he's breaking all kinds of cultural barriers. And then she says, okay, give me the water that I may not thirst anymore. And he says, go get your husband. What? This is interesting, is it not? We see the reality of propitiation in this intentional encounter between Jesus and the woman at the well. Your sins need to be atoned for. She's guilty under the weight of the wrath of God. And Jesus acknowledges this or calls her to acknowledge this, rather, when he says, go and call your husband. And then they have this dialogue. She says, I don't have one. And Jesus says, you're right when you say you don't have one because you've actually had five. And the one you have now, the guy you're with now, he, he's not even your husband. And so, therefore, Samaritan woman, what you have said is true. She says, I, I think you might be a prophet, sir. And they continue to talk. And then we jump down to verse 25 and 26. Again, Jesus, he's having this dialogue, and he's telling her, look, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. Worship isn't going to be about this mountain. Okay, it's not going to be the place of this well. I know that your father's worshiped here. <clears throat> But that's not going to be the point, okay? He jumped down to verse 25, and he says, The woman said to him, Well, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus looked at her and said, He who speaks to you is he. Jesus showed up with a purpose, okay? And he revealed in his purpose and in his presence and in his persistence of navigating these things with her, he then revealed to her her greatest need. It wasn't a drink of water from the well. It was eternal life in Christ, and it only comes through Jesus. Jesus, in this process, embodies the very nature and reality of intentional relationship. Not unlike Jesus, real meaningful relationships won't evolve in one conversation. But over time, in many conversations, and over that time, and over those conversations, they can nonetheless have tremendous impact if we seek to be present and to act with intention and purpose, persisting when it is difficult, and always pointing people to the cross. If you're not familiar with John chapter 4, the encounter with the Samaritan woman and Jesus at the well ends this way. She goes into town, and she starts telling people, dude, the Messiah's at the, the well. The Messiah is at the well. He told me everything that I ever did. This guy knows everything about it. I don't have any clue who he is. He might be the Messiah. And the Bible tells us that Jesus stayed there for two more days. And on account of that woman's testimony, many believed in Jesus. One intentional relationship of Jesus with the Samaritan woman, John tells us, resulted in many coming to faith in Christ. And so I want to ask you this. What can you do about loving, meaningful relationships in your life? And I want to challenge you. Who is just one person, just one person that you can start simply by praying about cultivating an intentional relationship with? Don't put the cart before the horse. Uh, we're going to get them to trust Jesus, and then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it. No, I just, just pray. Just think of one person. Pray about one person and pray daily for that individual for, I don't know, for a couple weeks. Do it for a month. 
Pray daily for this individual in, in the reality that you could establish with them an intentional, loving relationship. Pray that you might be able to connect in a real way with this one person. And then seek to establish a relationship based on these principles. That you show up. That you'll have a purpose. That you'll be persistent. And that you're going to share the reality of the need for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus, he calls his disciples here at the end of this text in John 4. He says, some reap, some some sow. What's the point? Be intentional. You may not sow that which you reap. Okay? You may reap... You may plant a seed, you may water a seed, and somebody else may sow it. You may sow a seed that somebody else planted and watered. So what? To God be the glory. One person. Just be intentional. Don't worry about the outcome. Be intentional. And imagine with me if each of us sought to cultivate just one meaningful relationship. The easy math is there's twice as many people here. Just one, each of us. One year from now, how different would things look if we each committed to cultivating one meaningful relationship? As we've alluded to, the people came from town after hearing the woman's testimony. God's word tells us they believed, and this is the fruit of intentional relationships. People know and they can tell when we are genuine and when we are sincere. And I want to finish lastly with a story. There was a fire in a building, and the building was burning profusely. And there was a little boy who was too high up and would soon be engulfed. However, there was an external pipe that one of the firemen used to climb up in an attempt to rescue the boy. The pipe was blistering hot, and even though he had gloves on, his gloves were smoking. And despite the extreme heat, the firemen got all the way to the boy and then climbed back down the same pipe with the boy to safety. And when they got to the ground, the fireman immediately removed his gloves and began rinsing his hands and dousing them with everything cold that he could to relieve the pain that he was experiencing from climbing up and down the burning hot pipe. Now the boy who had been brought to safety tragically lost both of his parents in the fire. And so some months later, the boy was up for adoption. And while this boy was up for an adoption, there was a professor who comes into the courtroom and says, I'm going to make this boy a genius. I want to adopt him. And then there was an engineer who said, I want that kid. I want to adopt him. And then there was a third man who came in. And the boy looked at him and said, Your honor, can he have me? And the judge asked why. And the boy said, Because I see his hands and I know who he is. You see, it's nice to have an engineer. It's nice to have an educator. It's nice to have a doctor. But when somebody loves you enough to burn their hands, when they love you enough to share your pain, when they love you enough to hurt when you hurt, to ache when you ache, and to be there when your life is falling apart, when they can show you their hands and you know that they paid the price, that is when you know that they love you and that they are seeking to aid you to what is best. May we be people whom those that look upon our lives would know that we want to be intentional, not for our good, but for theirs. Let's pray. Father God, in this we know, love, that you sent your Son 
to be the propitiation for our sin. I'm not sure in our earthly lives, God, that we can ever truly grasp or understand the reality of your wrath and the weight of it and the sheer fact that we deserve to be punished under it. And yet, God, what we see in your word is that your love was so great, you satisfied your wrath and you paid the cost for the purpose of redeeming sinful man into an intentional, meaningful relationship with you. That God, first we might know you, God, that we might be saved from the penalty of our sin, that we might be saved from the bondage of sin, but God, also so that we might live in you. God, so that our lives would be about demonstrating your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your glory to those that we have the privilege of cultivating relationships with. Father, help us to be burdened for the lost. Father, help us to be burdened about your glory. God, help us to strive to connect with people. Help us today, God, to pray about just one person in each of our lives that we could seek and strive to be intentional with in cultivating a relationship, God, where they might see the benefit, the, the reality, the need of having a saving relationship with Christ and then growing in maturity. Relationships matter. And who we are and how we live before others matters because they watch and they see and they know. So God, may we be the kind of people, may we be the kind of people who are intentional, who are willing, who are humble, who are available, who have a purpose, who persist, God, and who make your goodness in the person and work of Jesus Christ known. Work, God, to your glory and help us to be quick to give you that glory. Help us, everything that has breath, to praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.